0: So I don't, I don't know if Stefan's trying to say that he, I like to talk about myself or well, what, he, what he's quite getting at there. No. Uh, most of you do know who I am. I've been here a number of times. Um, I am from, fr- from Seacoast Vineyard down in Myrtle Beach. I'm from the preaching team there, and I have preached here, I don't know, this might be like seven or eight times. But it's good to know that, um, that I'm known in Barbados. Is that why you? you oh, that's not why you came? You have no, no idea who I am, <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> oh, never mind, never mind then. Never mind. We've been talking about this idea of vineyard distinctives when I've been here. We're going to jump off a little bit on that today. But I was, um, I, I got to move this up because there's not a, it's not a, a maybe, because if I don't, I will fall backwards over that thing. It will happen, so I got to give myself some moving space. But yesterday I was... Um, teaching my youngest how to ride a bike. It was day one of learning how to ride a bike. And I was thinking about how that goes. And I was trying to remember back. He's a bit younger than the other two. And I was trying to remember back, and I was like, you know, this is, this is kind of like teaching the other two, but it's kind of different. But one of the things about teaching a kid how to ride a bike, I think we've probably have all seen in the television commercials, It's like a life insurance commercial or a a Celebrex or commercial or something like that. And there's the dad, and he's running with the kid, and there's a bobble, and and then he takes off. That's a lie. That's a lie. It doesn't happen that way. That's fake news. (laughs) And any of you that have ever done it know it's a lie. Because even when it goes well, even because, I mean, when they show the kid's face and he's and he's all smiling, it doesn't look like that. It looks like this. They're scared to death. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know if they're going to, are you going to let go? Am I going to stay up when you let go? Am I going to fall flat on my face? What's going to happen? But the other thing that's a total lie about that commercial is they, they show the, the dad, and he's bent over, and he's got the seat of the bike, and he lets go, and he celebrates. It's not what it looks like at all. It looks more like this. Watch. Watch. It looks like this. I'll do it out here. Hopefully, everybody can see. It looks like this. Oh. Oh. Ah. (laughs) Glad he finally got it, because after 30 minutes of bending over to hold that bike seat, I can't stand up anymore. Well, a few years ago, with with our uh, second child that was learning, we found this handy device in It's like this little handle that you attach to the back tire and you screw it in. So I think what it is, I think people are getting wise to the fact that, ki- that, that parents are having kids later in life, like me. Like I'm 49 and I have a 5-year-old, so he's just now learning to, to ride. So I can do like this, and I don't have to bend over like that. But I still, even though it's easier for me, I have to figure out his personality, riding the bike. I don't just have to figure out physically if he's got it, if I can feel if he's got the balance. I have to figure out how am I motivating him when it doesn't work the first and second time? How am I motivating him to keep going and continuing to learn how to ride the bike, to ride the bike on his own? And that might be different from the way it happened for Emma or Evie. So there's a personality thing going on, there's a physical thing going on with learning how to ride the bike. And so when we think about this idea of the main and the plain I've been showing videos of Phil Strout talking but I won't do that. It's really simple. It sounds simple and it is. It means let's keep the simple things, the simple things forward. Like the gospel. It's like We have questions about what we're dealing with today and, and what we're going through. Well, what did Jesus say about that? Let's go back to the Bible and look. Let's look at the words Jesus told us. Let's stay with the main and the plain, even in the midst of all the other stuff. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing. Now, one of the main things that Jesus talked about is he said, "'Go and make disciples.'" Go into the world and make disciples. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today since it's in the main, the main and the plain. So for a long time I thought or my view I guess of discipleship was kind of skewed. I didn't really have great discipleship early on. Um, it, some of that was my fault. I had a few men trying to Trying to you know invite me into that situation, but because I never really heard it talked about, never really heard it preached about at the time, I didn't really know what it was that they were trying to welcome me into, that they were trying to help me out. And so after having looked back on it and looked around at a lot of other churches, there's a have you ever seen the movie The Crudes? Anybody ever seen that movie? That's a favorite in our household. We love that movie. I want to tell you, I've heard that movie, though, more times than I've seen it. Because, I don't know, when we traveled when we were kids, you know, you, you, you see if you could find the alphabet on the license plate, you sit back in the back seat with your brother and sister and you fight, right? Well, nowadays, we have DVD players in the back of the car and one of them just hangs right behind my seat. And so the kids sit in the back seat and they watch DVDs and they fight. So I can hear everything. There's movies that my kids have watched probably a hundred times that I've never seen but I've heard. I know every word. I hear them playing behind my head on family trips. But anyway, I digress. The Croods. So they love this movie. We've seen it, we saw it together and they'll watch it in the car over and over. And so there was a scene in The Croods and it reminded me of how I kind of perceived and felt about discipleship that I've seen and heard and even a little bit maybe that I've experienced to some degree. And so I'll just watch this little uh, video clip here from the Croods and see if it reminds you of anything you've heard. Yeah. I can never believe it. I found something new. New? <laughs> New's a big problem. Wait, boy. He stayed inside the family kill circle. It wasn't bad. New is always bad. No, he was nice. What? Excuse me? He? Well, I, I thought he was a warthog, but then he turned into a boy. Strange. Usually it's really? the reverse. <laughs> he's got boy, he has got boy. There are a boy. <laughs> uh, he's got a boy. What? Okay, I'm going to call What is wrong with you? It was dangerous. It was beautiful. You want to see dangerous? Here. Ow. A slipper. Okay, that's it. We're going back to the cave, and you're going to stay in there until you're older than, uh, you (laughs) know... It. Yeah. Are you hurt? What took you? Nothing. You. What? Dad, let me explain. <laughs> he's got it. So, stay inside the kill zone. Stay inside. Don't think about any, 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 any anything else. Don't ask any questions. Don't wonder about anything. This is how you're supposed to think. This is how you're supposed to see the world. This is what you're supposed to know. Stay here. The world's out to get you. That's discipleship that I've seen around several times. Not everywhere, but it's discipleship that I've seen before. And so obviously that's not how the real world works. So a lot of times modern Christianity we've kind of removed ourselves from the world seeing them as an enemy. But that's the way to not do discipleship. So let's take a look, a little look here into, we're just to dip our feet in the water here of discipleship. And let's start by just seeing what uh, Jesus says about it here. Um, If we look at Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20, it says, we have that up there, all right. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw Him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, "'All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always.'" Let's pray and then we'll jump into that in a little bit. Father we thank you for the reading of your word. I ask that you would bless it. Um, we just choose to open our hearts to what you want to show us here today. Uh, each and every one of us we're saying, Lord we know that you have a word for us. We know that you want to speak to us. And we just ask that um, we would have ears to hear what you're saying to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So there's a couple things. This is what they call the Great Commission. It's known as the Great Commission. They go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It's what's, that's what they call it. And so there's a couple things to notice inside this commission here about the disciples. They went where Jesus told them. Right there. It says they traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. Jesus said go, they went. The other thing, <clears throat> some worshiped. Some of the disciples worshipped. And some doubted. They were at different places in their walk. They were dealing with different issues. So for all disciples, if we're followers of Jesus, we're sometimes, guess what? Sometimes we're doubting. When you're trying to figure out how that next bill is going to get paid... When you're not seeing that come through, when maybe a bill got missed one other time before, when everybody told you, if you just believe enough, it'll get paid, but it got missed one time before. When you're going through tragedy, when you're going through difficult time, guess what? You can fall into the category of the doubted. But sometimes you're hitting the target, you're celebrating, you're blessed to be a blessing, you're all that stuff, and you're worshiping and you're nailing everything and life is Beautiful. So you're in the worship side. But guess what? It says Jesus came near to all of them and told them to go into the world and make disciples. He didn't say, okay, you ones who worshiped, you got it right. Go make disciples. You ones who doubt, we got to have a little conversation about what you're believing. you got to get your beliefs right. He came to all of them and said, go make disciples. And then he said, I am always with you. So even when we're struggling, even when we're going through a difficult time, we're still to be out there making disciples even when we're doubting. Because guess what? It's called faith. It's not called certainty. It's called faith for a reason. Having doubt at times is part of having faith. It's part of growing in your faith. So when we look at this, we see our first point here is that Disciples who make disciples haven't arrived. They're not perfected. They don't have it all together. But this begs the question, though, is, okay, so what is a, dis- a disciple exactly? What are we? Let's, let's, let's narrow this thing down. So pastor and author Jim Putman, he says he believes the definition is in the invitation. And what we mean by that is that the invitation that he gave his followers. And this guy Jim, He's a pastor of a place called Real Life Ministries in uh, Post Falls, Idaho. It started as a small group in 1998. He's now grown the membership to more than 8,000, which, you know, big whatever is fine. But what's amazing about that is that 90% of his fellowship is in active small groups. 90% of his church is actively walking out discipling. And here's what he says. If you look at here's he jumps off the the, the verse in Matthew 4.19. It says, Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So he says the definition is in there. And he spells it out like this. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, the come and follow part, who's being changed by Jesus, I will make you, and is on a mission with Jesus. We're fishers of men. That's how he breaks it down. And so that's pretty concise. It's pretty good. And here's what he kind of pulls that all together with a statement. that says, disciples are made when the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the people of God work together. And and in my personal experience, I've been in that place where the Word of God and the Spirit of God work together, and I expect that on Sunday morning, you're going to get all this discipling that you need. It's all going to be there. So I think the statement is it's pretty inspirational. The Spirit, the Word, and the people of God working together to make disciples. It's a great statement, but honestly, it still leaves more questions when you start digging into it. And so if we get all the normal questions, the who, what, where, when, why. And I think we have some answers for a few of them. We have the, the who is, is just us. It's all of us. And the what, what are we doing? The fishers of men. Where? Wherever Jesus takes us, then went to Galilee. So it's wherever Jesus is taking us. And the when is before we've even arrived, now, before we're perfected. But the why, I think the why is something that we need to address here. You say, well, it's, it's for salvation, right? We're to go out and we're to get people saved. Well, yes, but discipling is not just for the reason of getting people saved. It takes a step further than that. I mean, we have to do alpha class here, and honestly, I've never sat through the alpha class. I know a little bit about it, but part of that process is discipling people into the faith and giving them a chance to ask questions. But it doesn't stop there, and so let's look at why I say that it doesn't stop there. Um, In Matthew 22, we see there's a pretty powerful passage here, and it starts off with um, the Sadducees. So there's the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and there are two sects. Uh, of the the Jewish faith and they have different types of beliefs and different ways of approaching things. Well, well, the, the Sadducees don't believe in resurrection. They say there is no resurrection. And so they come to Jesus and they ask Him this question, trying to trap Jesus like a lot of them did many times. And they say, Teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children, his brother is to marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, let's say, Let's just, let's just say there were seven brothers. And let's say, let's say the oldest brother married a wife. And just for argument's sake, let's say that he died before he had any kids. And to just say, you know, what if, the, this little scenario, what, so what if that happened every time to every brother with the same woman being married to every brother, and then finally the woman dies? Well, then who is she married to after the resurrection? And they've brilliantly stumped Jesus, except for he says, Jesus answered them and says, you are mistaken because you don't know the Scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they're the teachers. They're the ones that teach all the law to everybody. And he's just told them that they don't know the Scriptures or the power of God. They've missed it all. And when we jump into verse 34, this will be up on the screen for you, the Pharisees come and give it a shot. They see what they can do. 34 says, "'When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. "'Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest?' He said to him, "'Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind.'" This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it though. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. All the law, all that stuff you teach and the prophets all hangs on these two commands. So this invitation he's saying is into a relationship with God. He's saying we're You should be invited in. If you're a believer, you should be loving the Lord your God and loving other people. To become like Jesus, which Ephesians says is we're predestined to be formed into the image of Christ, to become like Jesus and do the will of the Father. Love the Lord your God and love people. This is one of the reasons we do learn scriptures and we learn the power of God So you see in verse 29 there he said that you don't know the Scriptures or the power of God. And he's saying this essentially to the teachers of the law that they don't know what they're doing. You know why they don't know what they're doing? Because they missed the most important thing. They know all of the obscure details. They know how many steps they're allowed to walk on the Sabbath. They know which animal needs to be sacrificed for which sin. They know how much anise they're supposed to tithe. They know all of these obscure details... But they've missed the main and the plain. Love God and love people. The greatest commandment. And you know what? When we look at that first section of Scripture we read the Great Commission, we can look at the Great Commission as an invitation to people to walk in the greatest commandment. But number two disciples who make disciples love God and love others. You don't have to be perfected in this, but I would say this is one prerequisite to going out and doing the Great Commission. If you're not loving God, learning how to love God and learning how to love others, you're going to beat people over the head with it. You're not going to love them. That's a prerequisite. There's a man named John Wesley He's the founder of the Methodist Church and he's a contemporary of a man named George Whitfield, who was considered one of the most powerful preachers of, or the most powerful preacher of his time actually. One of the most powerful preachers ever. It was said that he could hold crowds of five to 10,000 people captive with no amplification. In the 1800s, no, no amplification at all and he could hold five to 10,000 people captive. Benjamin Franklin, who was was a well-known unbeliever, went to go see George Whitefield speak because of his passion and the power of his preaching. So Wesley and uh, Whitefield traveled around the United States on horseback and by carriage thousands of miles in a year to preach the gospel, and in England. But there was a difference that Whitfield brought thousands of people and he was a very powerful speaker. Wesley wasn't quite the speaker, but he would stay behind. He would stay behind and he would find, grab the converts, the most excited converts, and he would bring them and gather them into groups and then into smaller groups. Listen to this. This is what Malcolm Gladwell says about him in uh, his book, The Tipping Point. Methodism's founder, John Wesley, was by no means the most charismatic preacher of his era. That honor belonged to George Whitfield, an orator of such power and charisma that it was said he once charmed a five-pound contribution out of Benjamin Franklin, who, was, who of course was the furthest thing from a churchgoer. Nor was Wesley a great theologian in the tradition of John Calvin or Martin Luther. His genius was organizational. Wesley would travel around England and North America delivering open-air sermons to thousands of people But he didn't just preach, he also stayed long enough in each town to form the most enthusiastic of converts into religious societies, which he turned into subdivisions, into smaller classes of a dozen or so people. By 1820, around 70 years or so, I don't know how many years that was after after he passed, 35% of all Christians in America identified as Methodists. That's 20% greater than the next denomination. By a guy who wasn't the best, wasn't the greatest preacher, who wasn't the greatest theologian. He just gathered people and stayed behind to teach them. Why did that work? Because people wanted to know. People were hungry for God. They wanted to know what their next step was. They wanted to understand where they needed to go next. People want to grow closer to God. But guess what? If they're they're not learning what it looks like to love God and to love others and to walk this thing out, if they don't know what their next step is going to be, if they aren't given a purpose, they won't do anything. They'll just grow stagnant and fall off to the wayside. And this is our third point. Disciples who make disciples live intentionally. Just like John Wesley they live intentionally. Jesus called His disciples, He walked with them for three years. And then He told them go and make disciples. They hung out with Him, they were changed. I have one quote from, uh, one more quote for you. This is from George Whitefield. He was talking to John Poole who was a guy that was part of uh, John Wesley's team. And he was saying that he was honored to have been part of John Wesley's team. And Whitfield says, to John, you were in the right place. My brother Wesley acted wisely. The souls that were awakened under conversion, he joined in the classes, societies, and bands, and thus the fruits of his labor persevered. This is something I neglected, and I feel that my people are a rope of sand." The greatest preacher of his time brought thousands to the Lord but realized that those people were becoming a rope of sand, disintegrating and falling away. And said I should have followed John Wesley and made disciples, not just believers. I heard a preacher recently telling a story about how he bought a piece of land. He was, he was from the city and he'd been preaching at this church, and one of the church members owned some land right near the church. And he so he sold him the land. It was six acres of land. And so they're standing there, he and his wife, they're standing on the land and they're looking around and they're deciding, you know, where we're going to put the house and how we're going to position it and all this. And his wife turns around to him, she says, I got one question. He says, What? Who's going to mow that grass? And he thought about it. He was a city boy. He was like, I don't know. So he went away. He prayed about it. He thought about it. And he came up with a solution. Animals. I'm going to get animals. And so he starts gathering up. He got some little Nigerian goats. Some little tiny cute goats. And he got a few sheep. And he got some chickens. And he got some ducks. And then he got some dogs. And then the dogs attacked the ducks. And he had to get a Great Pyrenees to protect the, some animals from the other animals. And so he had all these animals, and he said, I observed something, and I, I learned a couple things about watching them. I watched sheep. He said, one of the things I learned from watching sheep was that if you open the gate, and the sheep are inside the gate, and you open the gate to let them out, they stand there and look at the gate. He said, it's not until the goats come flying by or leaping over or whatever they do to get out of the gate that the sheep then walk out of the gate. The sheep have to lead. Uh, uh, shepherds have to lead sheep out of the gate. There's probably a lot of spiritual application into that. And he said, another thing he learned was that if sheep eat too much or drink too much and they fall on their back, they can't get up. They're stuck. They need the shepherd to come by and pick them up and, and put them on their feet and let them go. So it is is helpless. As these sheep are, there's one thing that the sheep can do that the shepherd cannot do. And that's make more sheep. That's make more sheep. So as disciples, as followers of Jesus, we can make more disciples. It's not just about getting people to pray a prayer of salvation. It's about, it's not just about people getting people to baptism. That's where the real work begins. It's about coming in, walking along, and saying, you know what? I don't really know what I have to offer, but I've been around a little bit longer than you have. Sarah, when she was going through a really difficult time um, after her father died, and some of you heard me talk about that, she had a few years of a lot of struggle. But even while she was still in it, she saw people in need. And they would, God would highlight them. And so she'd just start talking to him, start helping him through. Even when she didn't have a whole lot of faith, when she really had a struggle with God, didn't really trust God, she still began to help these other believers because other stuff that she had in her to give out. So in the midst of a deep, deep struggle, we can still give a little bit, give a little bit. And I'm not saying if you're, if you're in deep struggle maybe you need somebody to be pouring into you right now. Maybe you need to be somebody giving into you and that's fine. But what I'm saying is everybody has something to offer. There's still, you know, the, there's a lot of questions about, well uh, how do I start? What do I do? What do I, that's a great thing about the modern age. There's all kinds of resources out there that tell us you know, what are some of the most important things for somebody to learn first. There's guides and resources to tell us all that stuff. You know, what what am I supposed to tell them? What am I supposed to ask them? What questions should they be asking? What questions should I I be answering? Are they even asking the right questions? There's resources for all of that. So I I actually think I was like, and I think I preached this message about six months after I should have preached it. Because really, even though we're at this point point, we're getting ready to make a decision about a new pastor you can multiply, disciple and bring in new disciples and walk new with people without a shepherd because it's disciples who make disciples. And this word isn't meant to like bum you out or hold you down if you hadn't been doing that. I get it that's totally fine. You guys have been through a whole lot. No problem there. But it is to encourage you that you can. You can do it. Even if you don't think you can do it, you can do it. There's somebody out there that needs what you've got. Let me pray for you guys. Father, I thank you for this beautiful group of people. I thank you for these disciples that you have made. Lord, I pray for their ability to to multiply. I pray for their confidence to just go out and do it even when they are scared to do it. They think they don't know enough. They think they can't answer all the questions that are going to come at them. But Lord, because of the word and the power of the spirit working in them and other people, we can all do this together with you with you at the helm, keeping things on the main and plain. We can do this. Thank you for that, Lord. I want to ask one question, though. Maybe you're listening to me right now and you're going, I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm, I've never become a disciple. I've, I've been hearing, I've been coming around, and I've been listening to what people have been telling me, but I've never actually said, hey, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want to follow you where you tell me to go. I've never made the decision to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And if that's you, just raise your hand really quickly because we want to pray for you as well. I think I know a lot of the faces in here, so. All right. Amen. Thank you all very much. I'm going to turn things over to Stefan.